Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Pick and Play Podcast. Joining me to break down the NFL, and we will be touching on a little bit of NBA today. Leo, how are you doing? It was a great weekend. On Sunday, I saw my Titans go 2-0. I saw the Lakers go up 2-0. All my fantasy teams won. I just, I've had a big smile on my face since Monday. Or since Sunday, rather. Big smiles all around. Uh, I got nothing to complain about either. Uh, we're going to be breaking down a recap of uh, what we thought was important in every game this weekend. Uh, we're going to run through an injury lineup. We are going to hit the panic button on a couple more teams. We were pretty spot on with our panics from last week. Uh, we are going to continue to press that fucking panic button. Uh, we're going to talk about some potential fantasy breakouts. And at the end... We're going to cut through a little bit of NBA as we are starting to round into the finals. So let's get through it right now. Uh, this week in the NFL, we saw 16 games in action, a good smattering across the board. Uh, we started with a fun Thursday night game. And our new format is we're going to break these games down for you, giving off the score and then what we thought was important to take out of it. So without further ado, let's get rolling. Uh, the first game of the week, we had Browns-Bengals. Uh, Thursday Night Football, which a lot of people thought was going to be uh, a little bit of a snoozer. Um, it, it wasn't that at all. It turned out to be a 35-30 barn burner. Uh, to me, what really stuck out is this. Is there any defense whatsoever that's going to be played between these two teams this year? Um, I don't I don't see where the Bengals are going to be able to get consistent stops. I don't now that the Browns have played two games and given up 30 plus points in both games. I don't really see where the Browns are going to round into a better form. They do have some injuries in their secondary. I think the thing to keep in mind with both of these teams is these are teams that are going to be good bets for the over for most of the year. Uh, it, it's obviously going to depend on who they're matching up against. But we just saw Joe Burrow had a really, really impressive day. Um, I didn't think it was anything overly impressive. I think really the thing I took away was how bad the Browns' defense played. But uh, our first Thursday night game uh, that we, we really thought would be a snoozer. We have another one coming up. But Browns overtake the Bengals 35-30. All right, so I'll follow that up with the game I was most interested in over the weekend, and that was Titans-Jags. I got to start off with an apology. I got to be honest with you. When you told me that Gardner Minshew, you were looking for things out of Gardner Minshew this year, I laughed you out off the podcast. Uh, I thought that that was ridiculous, and Gardner Minshew showed me exactly why he was getting a little bit of hype in the offseason. This man looks good. He looks good. I have to Gardner Minshew, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, because I doubted you. And it, it was a shootout between the Titans and the Jags. The Titans pull it out ultimately behind a big game from Ryan Tannehill. The thing that I really took away from the game, though, other than the fact that Gardner Minshew is for real and we might need to take the Jags a little bit more seriously, is that the Titans' run game is starting slow once again. The last couple seasons, uh, I think it's almost synonymous with Derrick Henry that he starts the season slow. But these first two games, man, it, I, he has to be averaging under four yards per carry, and it just hasn't looked that great. So that's something I'm keeping an eye on looking forward. The Titans are 2-0, so there's only so much complaining you can do if you go 2-0. But Derrick Henry is someone I'm keeping an eye on because normally he turns it up midseason and, and is full full force by the end of the season. I just want to see if that's a trend that's going to continue because he's starting slow so far this year, hasn't scored a touchdown through two weeks. 
All right, so after Titans-Jags, the next matchup that I'm taking a look at here is Indy and Minnesota. Last week, I told you Indy was my team that I'm keeping an eye on uh, for the emergency, the panic button. They bounced back this week. It, it was a better performance against Minnesota, but my main takeaway from this game really didn't have anything to do with Indy. It was more about Minnesota. They look bad. Kirk Cousins looked terrible. Uh, the, the offense in general looked bad. The defense looks bad. Everything looks all bad over in Minnesota right now, and I'm not really sure what the issue is. I, I know that they're missing two of their key uh, pieces on defense, but it, they just lost Anthony Barr, it looks like, for the season. So uh, with Minnesota, they're they're a team that when we get to our panic button segment, I think I'm going to be smashing it on them. Uh, really, all I took away from this game is that they look terrible. But Indy, I guess uh, they we, we can stop worrying about them for now. They bounce back. They got the win. Phillip Rivers still just looked okay to me. He didn't look that great. T.Y. Hillen's off to a very slow start to the season. So I'm keeping my eyes on that to see if that trend continues. And the next or the the following matchup I have here is Dallas and Atlanta. This one was real exciting. Uh, Atlanta fans, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry for what you're dealing with over there. Uh, if you saw the game, uh, I believe final score was 40 to 39. Uh, ends up in a Cowboys field goal to win it. Um, really bad clock management or special teams management by Atlanta. I'm not really sure why the people receiving the kick thought that you couldn't touch it until it traveled 10 yards. You know, that's only for the kicking team. Obviously they know that now, but uh, again with Atlanta, the defense has been bad through two weeks. They're giving up 400 yards a game through the air. Uh, Dallas's defense isn't looking any better. Uh, I thought Atlanta should have won this game personally, so I'm still not feeling great about Dallas, but uh, you got to give credit where it's due. They found a way to pull out the game at the end, and, and they get the dub behind, I think, 400-plus yards from Dak Prescott. It was, overall, it was an impressive comeback from Dallas, but if you're Atlanta, man, you you got to be sick to your stomach after that game. What did you think about the end of that one? Well, uh, teams that uh, scored was 39 or more points without a turnover were 440-0 and zero all time. Uh, they're now 440-1. and one. Uh, Atlanta continues to show an inability to close games out. And really, you know, it's starting to just get too much. Dan Quinn's got to go. I don't know what the philosophy is in that team, but it's, it's disgusting. Uh, there's an onside kick at the end of the game where the entire Atlanta hands unit doesn't jump on the onside kick. Uh, it wasn't just a recovered onside kick. The ball is dribbled up, and the way the rules work is the kick must travel 10 yards. Now, as a hands team, you can stop it from traveling 10 yards, and it's a penalty on the kicking team. And at worst case, that you don't recover it, it's a penalty. So the entire Atlanta hands team is sitting there watching this ball run up to 10 yards where they really just need to jump on it at any point in time. They can't be stopped. They just need to get on it, and they sit on it. It's just bad coaching all the way around. The offense, once again, is squandering a top year. Um, Matt Ryan's having a phenomenal start. The offense is clicking on all cylinders, and they're pretty healthy considering most teams, so... I really thought it was a complete flub. Now, if you want to watch good coaching, 
Uh, the Ravens and Texans played. Ravens won 33-16. Here's my biggest takeaway. It's tough to determine what the Texans are when the two games you've played are Kansas City after receiving their Super Bowl rings and the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, the Ravens won this game without getting into the end zone a lot, which was an interesting thing. Uh, the Ravens still, still score 33 in what many would describe as a down performance for the offense. So this is a very good team, the Ravens, offensive and defensively, and they're going to be around the one seed all year long. Uh, if, continuing with the uh, floundering QB opportunities, uh, Green Bay teed off against Detroit. Green Bay, who I believe got a huge amount of disrespect. Um, I took them to win the division. I took them with the their over. Uh, they just trounced the Lions 42-21. Um, this Lions team, I have no clue what direction you go in. Uh, a week one squandering loss to uh, the Chicago Bears, and now you just get absolutely drubbed by Green Bay. Uh, Green Aaron Rodgers' revenge tour continues, and he's got to be in the top five of MVP conversations. Uh, we, we turn our attention towards Philly. Uh, this was a panic button team for me, and now we have full confirmation. Uh, this is all hands on deck. You are a sinking ship. Um, how, how do you pull your team into a six-win season? I don't think I don't think you have the capability. The offense is banged up. The defense is banged up. And right now, there isn't a quarterback playing worse than Carson Wentz. Uh, the Rams trounced the Eagles 37-19 in a battle of, if I remember, these are the two first-round picks uh, in the 2016 draft, um, Goff and Carson Wentz. Now, the next game, Leo... Uh, I, I'm I'm I might die on this hill. You've got Buffalo, don't Miami. Come on, don't die on it. Go ahead. I apologize for Minshew. You're gonna have to go ahead and say something here. Go ahead. No fucking chance do I apologize to a quarterback who's played Miami and New York Jets back to back. All right. Well, just to give the the listeners a little more context, if you've been listening, you've heard Matt absolutely shit on Josh Allen at every opportunity. And through two weeks, Josh Allen looks like the best quarterback in the league, at least statistically. He might not be performing actually like the best in the league, but statistically, he's right there. So uh, that was my takeaway from this Buffalo-Miami game, honestly, other than the fact that I would like to see Tua very soon in Miami. I'm tired of Fitzpatrick already. There's no reason for him to start more than three or four games this season. I think we're on Tua watch full-blown. But the story of this game is Josh Allen. So you're not ready to issue an apology to Josh Allen yet? No, no chance. Uh, I, I'm just not looking at it too good. So the truth is, when I rewatch Josh Allen, I still see him leave throws out there. He still does incredibly stupid things. Uh, week one, he had two fumbles. He had a horrible fumble in this game as well. It was luckily recovered, uh, but we know that fumbles, fumble recoveries aren't a team-by-team statistic. They more ebb and flow. Um, there's no rhyme or reason to him. Football is a weird shape, and they bounce that way. Uh, look, last year when Lamar Jackson played Miami week one, he had 500 total yards. And uh, everyone was still waiting for him to come around as a quarterback. So I'm not really ready to go, hey, after two games with Josh Allen, able to beat up on Miami, who I believe everyone's going to beat up on Miami. And then the Jets, which, let's be honest, uh, the Jets just gave up 31 points to a Niners team that was without their starting quarterback, the starting wide receiver, two starting defensive linemen, the starting offensive linemen. 
um, and then a myriad of other issues, and they gave up 31 points. So, uh, you know, I'm not ready to write the Josh Allen is the king of all kings after playing his two of the four easiest games on his schedule. Uh, now that his schedule gets out of the little leagues, we'll see where he ends up. I think he looks a little better with Diggs out there. Diggs is all of a sudden looking like he might be a top 10, top 5 guy. And I know that you you know, you know, just explained how they weren't playing two very good defenses, but it's still encouraging to see. I didn't think that I would like that connection, the Josh Allen to Diggs connection, but they're producing through two weeks. Uh, you can't argue against the numbers. No, no, the numbers are great. Uh, and, and look, I said I'd die on the cell if I have to, but luckily I have enough time. All right, so transitioning to a game where the numbers weren't so great. Giants-Bears ends in 17-13 for the Bears. Mitch Trubisky, someone else that we weren't very high on going into the season, improves to 2-0 on the season. Uh, I wasn't really impressed with Mitch Trubisky's performance. He ends with 190 yards passing, two touchdowns, two picks. They almost blow a lead in the fourth to the Saquon Barkley-list Giants. Uh, The the story of the game is really Saquon's injury, though. him tearing his ACL, being gone for the season. I didn't have any hopes for the Giants in general, but no Saquon for the year. I think we're, we're going to be looking at the Giants as a number one pick contender when when that time comes. So this game, it, it was a lot of ugly. It was a low-scoring game. The, the Giants made a late push. I, I thought that they were going to win it at the end, but they didn't. Uh, and the Bears probably are my least favorite 2-0 team maybe of all time. Yeah. Definitely um, of all time. I, I don't like the two and O Bears at all. Are you a believer in the Bears? No, I don't I don't really see where the Bears look again, you've beaten who? You beat the Giants and you beat Detroit. And you really shouldn't have beaten Detroit. I mean they basically just dropped a routine catch. So, you know, there's a lot of frauds hiding at two and O land right now. A lot of them and a lot of them play each other this weekend too. So we're gonna we're gonna get that sorted out. Very fucking soon. All right. So a team that is not a fraud at 2-0, Arizona. At Arizona-Washington game, that's one that I put on all the way through. I wasn't watching Red Zone at that point. I just watched that game from start to finish. It was the Kyler Murray show. Kyler Murray continues to impress. He's, he's shown that he's taken the next step to be one of the top quarterbacks in the league, in my opinion. Uh, I think he's ascending into the top ten. Uh it was the Kyler Murray show, honestly. The run game didn't get much going against Washington. Uh, Washington's defense did have Kyler scrambling around in the backfield a lot, but Kyler Murray killed him with his legs. So you're seeing early that Kyler, he can turn a, a nothing play into a big play, and I think that that is going to be big for his career. If he can do that in year two, then I, you know, I want to see what, what he looks like over time. Kyler Murray ends up with 67 yards on the game, rushing on just 8 yards, 8.4 a carry, which is almost double what they got from Kenyon Drake. So if Kyler's going to be using his legs like this all year, we already know he has the arm. We already know Hopkins, him and Hopkins have the connection. Arizona's a team that we might have to keep an eye on. I didn't have them in the playoffs in my predictions, but it's looking... Through two weeks, I know it's just two weeks. I know it's Washington, and Washington isn't that great. But through two weeks, I'm really liking what I'm seeing from Kyler Murray and the Cardinals. Their defense looks much improved. They were one of the worst in the league last year. They're looking like one of the better defenses in the league this year. They're fast. They're athletic. I I like the Cardinals, man. I'm on the bandwagon. I didn't want to jump on the bandwagon, but now I'm on it. 
Yeah, I, I'm also, I really like what the Cardinals are putting together. Uh, I think they're going to have to, we're going to have to see how they do against Seattle and LA Rams. But this team looks like it's inbound for the playoffs. Uh, you've already beaten San Fran once, so you've crossed that hurdle. San Fran is not going to get healthier, so you are not going to have to worry about playing a better San Fran team. Uh, I think you're on a good collision course for the playoffs. Uh, and speaking of that San Fran team, really, really, really brutal injuries. That's the story of the game. They play the Jets. They wax the Jets 31-13. They lose Mostert for it looks like two to four weeks. They lose Nick Bosa for the year. They lose Jimmy Garoppolo. Could be three to six weeks. Uh, that's just their three top name injured players. They lost a total of seven people in this game. And when you turn the page, how does Adam Gase even get on the flight home? Adam Gase, while they came in with injuries, oh, by the way, the 49ers did not have Richard Sherman going into the game. Um, the 49ers were down players at every position and outcoached the Jets across the board, beating them in both halves even after all their starters went out. This Jets team is an abomination. And and I I failing to see until they start playing other horribly horribly mangled teams uh they're going to be an easy one to bet against because that team is going to hemorrhage points and is not going to score all year long uh so speaking of bets did you take adam gase first coach fired yes that's uh one of my season-long bets is adam gase he's eight to one that one's looking kind of juicy right now, in my opinion. Yeah, the his competition was Doug Marone, who he's not going anywhere, and uh, Pat Patricia in Detroit. So I'm banking on the New York media being more all over Matt uh, Adam Gates than the Detroit media on um, Matt Patricia. Uh, another team that got banged up this whole weekend, uh, my Denver Broncos, who started the season with Von Miller being out, now lose Cortland Sutton to an ACL, and Drew Locke is out two to six weeks. Um, this is over for them. It was a good run. Uh, you just aren't going to win many games with Jeff Driscoll as your quarterback. Uh, this is There's normally two teams every year that just get snake-bitten with injuries. Uh, it's the 49ers and the Broncos both look to be the front candidates for this. Uh, Broncos win 26-21. Uh, Broncos lose 26-21 to the Steelers. Steelers defense, uh, very unimpressive in the back end. You kind of got thrown all over by a guy the name of Jeff fucking Driscoll. Uh, the guy just rolled in on his horse from being out west, and you give up 21 points. This game shouldn't have been close. Uh, it's a little disappointing for me from the Steelers' perspective. Now, I had the Broncos plus 7.5, so um, I kind of saw these offensive woes for Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh relies on a lot of big plays that can kind of break open a team. Um, but the, besides that, they really have no consistent running game. Uh, they're not getting consistent separation from their wide receivers. Uh, and Ben looks a little 10-man-ish. He's able to reach back and have good throws, but... Overall, more impressive the Broncos were able to stick this game close, but I think their season is done. Uh, another season that I think is probably over, the Tampa Bay uh, Buccaneers trounce the Panthers in the division game. Christian McCaffrey gets hurt. He's out for a couple of weeks. High ankle sprain. Um, the Bucks 
turn to Leonard Fournette in the ground and grind the Panthers down this game. Uh, I don't really have any big takeaways other than the Panthers are going to continuously get worse and worse. Uh, Tampa Bay should get better and better, but I'm not I'm not selling out on any of these old quarterbacks. I think they're all collectively cooked. I hinted at that at the beginning of the year that I think these old quarterbacks could all be done at the same time. I think we're starting to see that. And then the Sunday night game, uh, which caps it off for me, uh, Patriots-Seattle. You finally let Russell Wilson cook, and guess what you get? You get a man who really can't be stopped unless you completely forget where you're at. Uh, this is my takeaway from this game. The New England defense is not that good. The Russell Wilson is that good. However, the play calling for Seattle at the end of that game was fucking crazy. You really just needed a first down to end the game. It was third and one. And instead, you took a 30-yard shot downfield. If you hit it, it doesn't matter. You're not going to score another touchdown. That's not the goal. The goal is to run the clock out. That's where you were. And instead, you squander all of the high-ranging one-yard plays for a low-reward, high-risk 30-yard drop, which would have only put you, you know, around the 30. I blew my mind that they were able to still hold on and win that game. Um, Cam Newton looked great. Uh, Seattle's defense looks bad. Patriots' defense looked bad. Seattle made the one stop they needed to make. Uh, and that was the end of the game. I don't want to be that guy because I'm not Mr. Football Coach, Mr. X's nose. Like I recognize that I'm lacking in that department, but I didn't like that last play that they called for Cam Newman. No. I know that that same draw worked twice or three times in the game already on the goal line. But don't you think on the last play of the game when you line up with that exact same formation, don't you think the defense is going to be ready that time with the game on the line? Again, I'm not Josh McDaniels. I don't get paid to cook up football plays. But I would have liked to see at least a, a halfback go out for a little a little pass, a tight end leak out. Give me something. Roll like, Cam Newton out with that. You know the play that never seems to fail? When you roll the quarterback out and sneak the tight end behind everybody. Does, that's like, is there a more open, consistent play than that? You had that basic setup, and, and it was just looked like a quarterback option that Cam decided he was going to sneak the whole way through. And the Seahawks, give them credit, they blew up the point of attack. They recognized something, and Bobby Wagner blew up the point of attack and stuck Cam Newton in the backfield. Yeah, and that's why Bobby Wagner is one of the best in the league. Yep, 100%. So, speaking of one of the best in the league, let's take a look at our boy Patrick Mahomes and, and the matchup against the L.A. Chargers. Honestly, watching this game, I expected the takeaway to be that Mahomes is good, Chiefs are good, L.A. bad. That, that was not the takeaway I had. Justin Herbert looked good. And I, I saw a headline yesterday that says Anthony Lynn says Tyrod Taylor will remain the starter if he's healthy. I think that's a load of bullshit. I think that you got to roll with Herbert from now on. I, did you see him in the first game, Anthony Lynn? He looked pretty good for a guy who didn't even know he was going to get the start you know, until the day of. So my main takeaway is that the L.A. Chargers defense is actually, you know, it's pretty good. We, we need to, I think we need to take them a little more seriously if they're going to put points on the board. They had KC frustrated all day. Ultimately, Mahomes 
comes back and gets the win like Mahomes does. I mean, I, I think if you watch that game, you kind of expected you were waiting on the Mahomes comeback, and eventually you got it with the overtime kick for the win. But that wasn't my takeaway from the game. My takeaway from the game is that Justin Herbert looks like a viable starter, and if he's going to look like a viable starter, then the Chargers owe it to themselves to start him. They didn't pick him in the top 10 for no reason. Uh, he goes over 300 yards in his first start. I think he looked impressive on the run. He, he laid out a couple hits that, that looked pretty pretty gruesome. I think there was, there was one plan specific where he's running to the sideline to try and pick up a first down, and he puts a shoulder into who I believe was a linebacker, and the linebacker had to come out of the game after that hit. So I, I want to see more Justin Herbert. I need more Justin Herbert. I don't need any more Tyrod Taylor. And to round out our week's games, we have New Orleans and Vegas. I think I need to issue another apology. Maybe not because of something I said on the podcast, but something I've said over time. I didn't think Derek Carr was any good. Derek Carr is looking pretty good in Vegas with, with John Gruden. He ends the night with a 120 passer rating, three touchdowns, 282 yards. You know, it's a little dink and dunk, but... Darren Waller is looking like he's emerging as one of the top three, if not top two, tight ends. He's at least giving George Kittle a run for his money at this point. He ends the game with 12 catches, 103 yards, and a touchdown. He was really the offense. This wasn't the Josh Jacobs show like it was in week one. This was the Darren Waller show. And I don't think that the Vegas Raiders are going to give Casey a push for the division, but they may be a team that we need to keep an eye on for a wild card spot. That offense, they got back-to-back 30-point games. I know it's against two relatively all-right NFC South defenses. I didn't think New Orleans' defense looked that great last night. But Oakland, uh, I'm sorry, Vegas may be a team that we need to keep an eye on for that that last wild-card spot, which is something that I didn't expect coming into the season. I thought that they would be in competition for a top-10 pick. Let's take a real quick pause and talk about the Oakland Raiders. I'm Oakland, L.A., the Raiders. Uh, I have faith. I took them last night. Money line. Didn't even need the points. I said, take the Oakland Raiders, parlay them with the over 49. Pays out four and a half to one. Take it, thank me later. Bang. Bang. All right, so why, though? Because, because I'm, I was not a Raiders John Gruden's a good fucking coach. Okay, that's something that people just can't seem to get over. Derek Carr is a bad quarterback, but John Gruden fucking knows offense. He's a mastermind of offense. He is a football guy, and he has been for 50-plus years. Watch, if you really watched their offense last night, Derek Carr did everything in his power to keep that game close. There are wide receivers streaking open down the field nonstop, and Derek Carr is throwing wide open checkdowns for 10 yards, but he's got guys 50 yards downfield. John Gruden has schemed up and cooked up a delicious meal that people should get a part of. That offense is phenomenal, and the defense is slowly coming together. Drew Brees looked old yesterday. Old. Fell off the back of a truck old. Michael Thomas deserves a little bit more praise than we're giving him. The reason Michael Thomas doesn't catch deep balls has nothing to do with Michael Thomas. It's because Drew Brees can't throw it to him. But John Gruden comes in. It's a big win for them. They're opening their stadium. And how do they do it? 
They stuck it to him, man. And then how about the balls at the end of the game to go, I'm kicking a 54-yard field goal so you can get the fuck out of my stadium. It was a perfect play. It was a long, it was 54 yards. There are so many coaches that wouldn't take that and would punt or try to go for it on fourth. He said, I, I know the roster I have and I know the limits of it. And he went out there with Derek Carr and stomped on the Saints 34-24. I, I love it. I thought that I thought the Raiders were, except for the first quarter of this game where the Saints jumped up 10-0, the Raiders were in control. The Raiders outscored the Saints in every quarter besides number one. And that is a sign of once the game got going and you had to improvise who was the better person. And it's the Raiders. Now they're 2-0. They still get their games uh, against the weaker teams in their division. I'm a big Raider fan. I've got I've got some ties that I'll go over in, in some other pod on why I have a soft spot in my heart for the Raiders. Um, uh, go, you know, this is a great win for them. They're a great organization. Uh, Al Davis was one of the pioneers of football. So anytime the Raiders are good, it's better for the NFL. Let me read you a stat here just to round out your thoughts on Derek Carr. Darren Waller leads the team this game with 16 targets, right? Yeah. The next highest, well, the tide for the next highest is Hunter Renfro, Josh Jacobs, and Henry Ruggs at three. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It, It was all Darren Waller all the time for them. On the other side, Alvin Kamara leads the team in targets, which tells you a little bit about how how far down the field Breeze is throwing. Nowhere. So it was a dink and dunk fest. I was a little bored watching this one, honestly. Yeah. I, I'm. I, I, it, it, that's Derek Carr. So, you know, that's also who Drew Breeze is. Uh, so I'm, I'm happy with this. I'm, I'm in a, I, I'm, I think the Raiders have a chance to be a playoff team. I didn't put any preseason bets on them because I really just don't like Derek Carr. Uh, but this is a team you're going to have to watch out for because if the defense does pick it up a little bit and they can hold you to 20, 24 points, that offense is capable of scoring. Um, let's turn to some not-so-positive news, and we hinted at this as we broke down. The injury report from Week 2 was devastating for fantasy football and for teams out there. I, I distinctly call it fantasy football because the, the truth of the matter is most of these injuries, except for the 49ers, came about on players, on teams that are not going to be contributors uh, towards the playoffs or these races. So they're really, really, it's it's very upsetting for the players themselves. You never want to see injuries, but we do understand that injuries happen every single year. And, and now we're going to walk through some of the implications. Let's start with the less severe. Christian McCaffrey has a high ankle sprain out four to six weeks. He wants to come back before then. Uh, this was the unanimous 1-1 on fantasy value. Unfortunately, I don't really think that the Panthers offer any value behind him at running back now, Mike Davis is the backup I don't want any of Mike Davis yeah I think this overall hurts every single bit of the Panthers you basically took out the person that's able to do something with nothing uh, out four to six weeks this is a big 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 blow yeah McCaffrey being out that kind of makes me fade the Panthers in all aspects like I, I don't want anything to do with them betting wise unless I'm betting against them I don't really want anything to do with them in terms of fantasy either. Uh, the, the Panthers are just a fade right now. Yep, big fade. Uh, next up, Saquon Barkley. 
ACL. That one hurts. Hurts. Uh, very similar position, though, that Christian McCaffrey's in. You're looking at a team that wasn't going to get anything done anyway. Uh, this is bad for his career. Um, but really, the Giants, all this does for me is continuously let me fade them. I do Again, I just don't see where they offer you any upside. Let me ask you this, actually. Now that I'm thinking about it, you know, you're, you're talking about teams that already didn't have much upside. If you're the Panthers and Christian McCaffrey, let's say it's the full six weeks. I think they said four to six weeks. If it's the full six weeks and you're sitting there at 0-7 or 0-8, do you even bring him back? No. Uh, no. Maybe. I, I, you know, it depends where I'm, where I'm sitting as the coach. I think if, if McCaffrey wants to come back earlier, but um, I think you go, look, you're going to, until the doc tells me it's 100% healthy and there's no risk of re-injury, he's not coming back. As soon as the doc tells me that, though, I, I, he can come back. I don't have a problem with that. No, I might sit him out, honestly, if I'm the GM. And I might play the long game if I know that this season isn't going to go the way I want. McCaffrey, you rest up, get healthy for next year, and we're going to go and try and get Trevor Lawrence. Bingo. And they're going to be fighting for a lot of teams with Trevor Lawrence because there are a lot of really fucking bad teams. Um, let's turn over to San Francisco in its kind of entirety uh, and talk about what happened. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, Garoppolo looks like he's going to be out for a little bit. They lose Nick Bosa entirely. Uh, Tevin Coleman's out. So their backup running backs out. Raheem Mostert's out two to four weeks. Another strain. Wow. Um, this is not good at all for... And yeah, with Jimmy Garoppolo, we go week to week with a high ankle. This is just bad for 49ers in a division where everyone, the Rams are two and zero, the Cardinals are two and zero, Seattle's two and zero. You're one and one without your best defensive player, your second best defensive player, Richard Sherman's already been out. Your quarterback, your two starting running backs. Yikes! Big, fucking, yikes! I don't they're really, in trouble. They're I in mean, deep I know trouble. The, the Super Bowl hangover is a pretty common thing, you yep. know, but I, I didn't see it coming for the 49ers this year, but it looks like the injury is taking place of the hangover. So I'm going to do this now. My panic button is the 49ers. This is just all hands on deck. Everything, you know, we got to we got to figure this out and try to scrap to 8 and 8 because with the amount of injuries they have, they don't have ta- enough talent to make up for that. No one does. No one can lose their quarterback, two running backs, best two defensive players, and really survive. You're going to be able to beat up on shitty teams. Uh, They're going to get Miami. They're going to get the Jets. Uh, These are the teams they've got to beat up on um, if they're going to try to make the playoffs. But they could go 0-6 in that division. This could get ugly for them uh, to no fault of their own. So... Let's uh, let's take another look over at the AFC team that I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of hit the panic button on. Uh, it's the Denver Broncos. The Denver Broncos got banged up almost just as probably actually just as bad as the the 49ers have. You lose Von Miller at the beginning of the year. You lose Cortland Sutton to a torn ACL and MCL. Not great. Uh, Drew Locke out three to four weeks. Severe rotator cuff sprain. Oh, man. Uh, another team that's just going to go on the pile. You're hitting the panic button, but it's not so much panic as it's uh, you just throw your hands up and go, well, that fucking sucks. I guess we'll hit it next year. Um, any other injuries you wanted to cover, Leo? Yeah, on those same Broncos, Cortland Sutton's out for the year with a torn ACL. Yeah, ACL, MCL torn. He's done. 
that's just over for them. Uh, I really think that uh, the amount of injuries, while there were a lot, they were really circled around two teams, uh, the Broncos and the 49ers. While McCaffrey and Barkley both went out, both of those teams lost three to four starters uh, in the last two weeks. So that's just going to be tough to overcome. Yeah, Kittle's gone too, at least for a little while. All right. You, I have gone over my panic button so far this year. I've given the Eagles as a panic button, which that's about right. Um, we've uh, Now I'm giving out Broncos and 49ers. Uh, who do you have on your panic button? So my first week panic button was Indianapolis. I'm backing off of that button a little bit. Uh, last week I said that I was just ready to lightly tap the panic button, but now I'm backing off of the panic button. The Colts might be all right. It's the team that they played this week that I'm smashing the panic button on. Okay. The Vikings don't look good. They don't look good on offense. They don't look good on defense. I know they're missing two of their key defenders, Anthony Barr and Daniil Hunter. Uh, but they don't look good on either side of the ball, and I don't—I haven't seen anything encouraging from the Vikings. They're a team that I thought would be a playoff team this year. I didn't see any reason to think that they would take a dramatic step back, yeah. but they—they they look like ass, putting it plainly. So I, I'm smashing the panic button on them. I'm interested to see what happens this week against Tennessee. 0-3 would put them in a big hole given the way that the Packers are starting off. And even the Bears, as much as we want to dismiss the 2-0 Bears, that's still a two-game hole that they already have to climb out of. I don't like the Vikings. Now, so I, that's panic buying. It, it, they, their whole thing is they just look out of sync. They just really look out of sync, and I don't know what they're going to be able to do to kind of round that through. Uh, they're also losing time in a division with two two and O teams, and Green Bay just looks like a way better team. So, why do you think that the Vikings' offense looks so bad? I, they had a change in offensive coordinator. Was is that it? Is the new offensive system just not working for them? Yeah, we're gonna see. They have still weapons left, so that's not an excuse. Um, the offensive line is bad, and Kirk Cousins is getting every year. Kirk Cousins doesn't get more mobile and flexible, so they're losing a lot of. Their ability to out-scheme defenses is slowly and surely waning away. And that's the biggest issue with them. They no longer have overwhelming horses at every position that can just beat you. They've always been a team that has to plot along. And here they are, now without one of their best weapons, and teams are kind of just handling them easily. So... I really look at this as uh, going, Minnesota may have just reached the end of this run they've been on. It happens. You go up, we're a few inju- you know, we're a few pieces away. Well, then instead of getting those few pieces, you lose a couple more, and you take a dramatic step backward. It's the NFL, and it can happen. There's a long way to go, but they've dropped one to Green Bay, one to Indy now. So we'll see what happens when they get a chance to play Detroit. And, you know, Chicago, when they get into those weeks, you know, what do they do? How are they able to how are they able to pull it out? And we'll be breaking. I didn't think that they were going to miss Stephon Diggs this much. But it, the offense looks like it's missing Stephon Diggs. The offense is missing a lot. Kirk Cousins throws three picks, never really gets going. There's a lot of things missing here. But, you know, we're, we're going to we're actually going to take a look this week. Your Tennessee Titans play the Vikings. So that's going to be one of our uh, highlights we call out later in the week. Uh, let's turn our attention right now to some fantasy breakouts and opportunities for you. Uh, I really, there are plenty of opportunities there. Are, there. there are plenty. I'm going to go with, with actually a theme here. Uh, you don't have to 
look very hard to find a bad defense this year. And I don't mean just a bad defense. I mean like an atrocious defense. Um, There are so many people that are out and hurt. Somebody has to catch the ball. We, a lot of times, the media, everyone talks about the offensive players that are out. You know what's actually really important? Go look at the depth charts of the other teams. Teams like the Browns are without two of their top three corners. Well, you're going to get some yards no matter who you are. Because they're going to have to throw. So you want to take a look at teams that have bad defenses. Uh, Jaguars play the Dolphins on Thursday night. Short week. Defenses aren't going to get time to adjust. Go out there and take whoever you can get your hands on on the Jaguars. The Bengals and the Eagles play each other. These are going to be two bad defenses. See who you can get that's still available from the Bengals. Or, you know, go out there and get someone like uh, um, Jalen Rager from the Eagles. Uh, There are going to be matchups all weekend. 49ers and San Francisco. 49ers and Giants. We just don't know who's even going to get the ball in either one of them. But you know there's going to be at least 200 to 300 yards of offense. Someone's going to catch 10 passes. Get out there, go through the depth chart, look who's playing and who's not, and scoop up those players. That's my biggest advice turning into week three. There are opportunities in every fucking game to get a piece of something. Don't just go, oh, I don't know their names. You're not going to know a lot of them. We just lost the number one and the number two overall fantasy pick. You lost a top 15 wide receiver in Cortland Sutton. You're going to lose players. Someone has to get those targets. Someone has to get those catches. Dig deep and go look for them. There's definitely a lot of opportunity on that waiver wire out there, especially in deeper leagues. I actually wrote down a list of some players at each position. I left out defense and kicker because, no. Uh, But I have a, a list of some quarterbacks, running backs, and receivers that are broke out that I didn't personally see coming. Maybe you have, uh, but I didn't. So I'm going to start off with Cam Newton. Uh, Obviously, we all know Cam Newton is super talented. We knew the former MVP went to the Super Bowl. I don't need to hash out Cam Newton's career, but it hasn't looked that great lately. And in New England, we just didn't know what we were going to get from him. Through two games, he's got five total touchdowns, four rushing, and is currently the number four fantasy quarterback. I know Cam Newton probably went undrafted in a few leagues, so if he's still available, I would jump on that if he's going to be running at the rate that he's currently running. Also, I have Gardner Minshew here as the number 10 quarterback so far. I know it's only been two weeks, but he's top 10. Six touchdowns in two weeks. He's got that Jags offense looking respectable. Uh, That's not something I expected having watched the Jaguars over the last few years. Uh, Typically, that offense doesn't score many points, doesn't do a good job moving the ball. But this man's shredding defenses with pinpoint accuracy. Saw it firsthand this weekend. It it looked good. It looked good. Like I issued my apology to Gardner earlier. He's a top 10 guy through two weeks, so I uh, I can't really get on him there. Do you have any quarterbacks that you want to point out? Um, I think that it's it's worth keeping an eye on Mullins uh, for the 49ers uh, because they do go up against the Giants this week, and he'll probably have two passing touchdowns, someone you can get cheap. Uh, keep an eye on, a, on, on Driscoll in Denver. Uh, he, he was moving the ball pretty he well. He was, and they, they do have some good weapons, even with him out. They've got, with Cortland out, they've got Fant, Judy, L. Gordon. They have weapons, so... You know, I, I look around there and say, what can I get going? Um, 
There are some teams I want to say just, just don't, don't, don't hunt. Um, if you want to go out for the Dolphins and take Tua, that's fine and hold on to him for later. But, you know, I'm not really looking for any part of who's ever quarterbacking or will eventually quarterback for the Panthers if they change. Um, I'm not really picking up anyone on the Giants right now. I just think that they're going to be, I think it's going to be tough sledding for them. If you really need a spot, the 49ers, like I said, are banged up. Uh, I just don't think that Joe Judge is really going to be able to get good, good coaching in. So I don't lose. Right now, I'm kind of in a holding pattern. Uh, you can still get Gardner Minshew on the waiver wire. You know, 100%. He's very available. So go just go get him. Go put a claim in. If you don't get him, so what? He's worth having on your bench in case he turns it around. Uh, I will say this. I know Sam Darnold doesn't have much, much like any eyes on him. But if they make a change at head coach, he could have a decent second half of the year. Um, they're just limiting. Having Adam Gase limits your ability to do anything professionally on a football field. I am 100% in agreement with you. So moving on to the running backs here. My guy that I want to highlight is Jonathan Taylor, the rookie in, in Indianapolis. He's the number 10 running back in PPR. All these stats that I'm giving is PPR. Yep. But he's the number 10 running back in PPR through two weeks. Marlon Max Achilles injury really opened the door for a massive workload for him. And I know in week one, Taylor and Himes, uh, they split a lot of time together. But in week two, it looked like the Jonathan Taylor show. And the Jonathan Taylor show looked very, very good. So he's definitely not, well, let me not say definitely. He's probably not available in in your waiver wire. But if you can buy low, you know, before he really takes off, Jonathan Taylor's a guy I'm looking at, again, top 10 through two weeks. And there's been a few running backs that are producing. So for him to be in the top 10, I, I, I feel very encouraged. And he's a guy that we knew would produce if he got the opportunity. We just didn't think he would get the opportunity. What do you think at running back? Um... Here's the thing. Uh, Carolina is going to have to give someone the ball. <laughs> um, I, I actually really right now, running back, I'm keeping an eye on the Washington football team. Uh, they've had two completely different weeks. First week, Barber gets a ton of, ton of red zone carries, gets two touchdowns. Looks like he'll be the goal line back. Next week, he doesn't take a snap. So Antonio Gibson might be able to get things going. You may be able to still go out and get him. Uh, people may have dropped him after the week one. Uh, Barber had one rush for one yard, and that's it. That's a week after getting a majority of the carries. So uh, I'm keeping an eye on Washington, a team that's going to be relying on their running game. Uh, that should be able to move the ball uh, is maybe an opportunity to uh, you know maybe get you some points. Um, but but right now it's McKissick, uh, Gibson. I just uh, keep an eye on I some like of these. Gibson this weekend. Yeah, and watching that game. Yep. The Washington offensive line did a terrible job of creating space for him to run. That's that. But I saw him create a couple a, a couple magical plays out of nowhere. You know, he he, he turned negative three yards into eight yards a few times, and that was impressive. Yep. And 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 that's not going to change with the Washington offensive line. It's just not very good. Uh, keep an eye, I think, again, keep an eye on what what um, the New York football giants do and the uh, Carolina Panthers. If you're desperate, just go pick parts of their bench up now and, and hold on to them. But 
you're you're already in like end of season form when you're picking up uh you know uh was a uh, Chris Samuel to back up uh Christian McCaffrey and part of the problem with that is Samuel's marked as a wide receiver so they're really just across the board a very interesting spot and I think I think you're gonna have a lot of really really ugly fantasy football productions this year um now, it's one of the reasons why I said to go out and draft all those rookies preseason because those high-graded rookies, they're going to be the ones that get opportunities in these vacant spots. Jerry Judy with Cortland Sutton. Uh, we're seeing CeeDee Lamb get a lot of play. You are seeing Henry Ruggs get a lot of play, and he's getting open. It's just Derek Carr can't hit him. Uh, so keep an eye on these young rookies that could step up in, in these vacancies. Uh, keep an eye on potential trades. I think teams are going to start moving pieces to each other here soon. Um, and the white flag is going to be waved around week four. So take a look for uh, people to scoop up those vets. Um, some good news, if you did have Fournette and you stashed him, this was the week he broke out. 12 attempts, 103 yards, two touchdowns, along of 46. So uh, I really think that go out, look to see what vets you can grab that may be contributors. Hang tight. Um and just see if you can pick up parts for now. But it's going to be touch and go for a lot of these bad teams because I don't know what direction they're going to turn once they lose their bell cow. And they could go to three or four running backs back there instead of Saquon or McCaffrey. And then you're just stuck holding on to these really shitty pieces. We're on the same page when it comes to the Panthers and when it comes to the Giants. I don't really like the replacements in the running game in either of those spots. Where we differ is the 49ers. I do think that Jarek McKinnon might be worth a little waiver wire ad. They paid him a lot of money two years ago, and he just missed the last two seasons with injury. It's not that he you know, wasn't productive or the coaching staff didn't like him. They like him. He just couldn't stay on the field. So with uh, with Coleman and Mostert both hurt, I kind of like McKinnon this week. I, I wouldn't mind throwing a little flyer out on him. Yeah. McKinnon, someone that you could take and kind of pray for, uh, and that's going to be touch and go. But but really, right now, what I'm doing is I'm trying to hedge against the really shitty defenses that uh, can't play ball control offense, meaning they don't have the ability to run the ball, so they have to throw for first downs. Teams that don't have the ability to run the ball have a bad defense and have to throw for first downs are where you get lopsided blowouts. Uh, and then you could just hedge yardage at that point that they're going to have to have complete passes out of the backfield because they can't get anything going. So it's just it's just kind of a strategy we're shifting. Not really players to lock in. A lot of people are, are doing a lot of wild predictions right now. I got to tell you, the, the board's kind of all over the place, and it's going to keep doing that because teams are still coming into focus. Um, and, and as teams come into focus, I think it's easier to bet on – uh, position groups than it is certain players so it, it's kind of a crapshoot uh, it's why this this time of year a lot of people well I, I'm not struggling but a lot of people struggling with their gambling because they're not sure what their teams are doing I'm better at understanding what teams are trying to do and how they would try to win uh, as opposed to what players are going to necessarily get that done um, a good case in point is Henry Ruggs Henry Ruggs is open all last night down the field across the field it was crazy but because he was so open, the, the New Orleans Saints had to keep shifting players back towards him, leaving Darren Waller to just eat the entire middle of the field. So while the offensive philosophy was we're going to spread you out and then we're going to eat in the middle, 
um, and that you saw that happen with Josh Jacobs getting great runs in as well. Uh, that doesn't necessarily translate to, you know, which player was doing the best in the game isn't always who got all the passes. So just something to keep in mind as you go. Um, and if you feel strongly about a player, don't let one week talk you off of them. It's a long fantasy season. You only really need to win about one more than half of your games, depending on when your season ends. If it's week 12, you really need to go 7-5 and five to make your playoffs in most leagues. So remember that. Don't just dump cargo to make your boat lighter for a short-term sprint. Uh, it's a long season, so don't lose conviction. You can ride through that. 100%, I agree. So let's stay on receivers. You just touched on Henry Ruggs and how he's opening stuff up for Darren Waller. My fantasy standout at receiver so far, we spent most of this episode, we spent a good chunk of this episode shitting on the Panthers, but Robbie Anderson, number five fantasy receiver through two weeks. Yep. I would love to just sit here and call it a fluke, but he's got 18 targets in two games. Yep. To me, that suggests it's not a fluke at all. They're Teddy Bridgewater likes Robbie Anderson. With CMC gone, I expect them to not only be losing more often, but the run game is not going to be working as well as it was before. So Robbie Anderson might see an uptick in targets. And if that's the case, after week one, a lot of people probably scooped him up off the waiver wire. But if he's available, I would definitely buy some Robbie Anderson because 18 targets in two games, that's, that's a big number. Also at wide receiver, a, a surprise wide receiver standout for me, at least. I don't know about you, but Russell Gage on the Atlanta Falcons. Yeah. It's not too often that the number three receiver on a team is a viable fantasy starter, but Russell Gage threw two games, again, only two games, but he's the number 11 fantasy receiver <laughs> in PPR. He's got 21 targets through two games. Should have had an even bigger game this this week, so he should be higher. He should be in the top 10. He dropped a dime to Julio. I don't know if you saw it, but they went with a wide receiver pass at some point in the second half. He drops a dime to Julio Jones, who drops the ball in the end zone. So Russell Gage, he's producing at a high, high level, and I barely even knew who he was going into this season, so I had to give him a little shout-out as my fantasy standout through two weeks. I want to do one quick thing. We're talking about Robbie Anderson, a standout, and uh, I've got a good one for you. Name a player who leaves an Adam Gase system and doesn't turn into a quality player. Uh, I got no one for you. It ah, seems like everyone gets there, better when they leave him. There isn't one. That man squanders more talent than anyone else in the NFL on a routine basis, and it's an absolute sin. That's just my two cents to interrupt there. No, you're good. I, I'm shocked by Robbie Anderson's production, honestly. Yeah. It's, it's, I, you wouldn't think that anyone in the Panthers' offense would be a viable starter in fantasy, but if they're going to keep just feeding him targets, I thought I heard some on the broadcast the other day that uh, uh, Matt Rule, that, that's yeah. the Panthers coach, yep. that he coached Robbie Anderson in college. Ah, uh, okay. That makes sense. And right. realizes that's that he's an actual case, if I'm talent. If that right, then all of it makes sense. And buy some Robbie Anderson because this isn't going to stop. Nope. Get you some Robbie Anderson. Um, I, I've i really got I, I got two players that everyone should look for. I am looking still at Jalen Rager in uh, Philly. He's a rookie. They're kind of getting desperate now, so I'm wondering how that turns out. And then Brandon Ayuk, another rookie in the 49ers system. Uh, new quarterback in there, Nick Mullins. Want to see how they introduce him. They're starting to run out of weapons, so someone's going to get things schemed up for him. If he's lucky enough to be the person that gets schemed up for, uh, then you're you're in for a 100-yard game regardless because Kyle Shanahan's that good. So 
Uh, just again, I'm going to preach, look for the talented rookies as people start dropping. All right, so let's round out our fantasy breakout section with tight ends. I only have one in this section, and this one's near and dear to my heart. Jonu Smith. Jonu Smith is the number three tight end in PPR right now through two games. He scored three touchdowns in two games. Looks to be heavily involved in the Titans passing game. Uh, You spent the summer working out with Ryan Tannehill down in South Florida, so he was someone I was already keeping an eye on because anytime you see those stories in in June of the quarterback and the receiver that's, you know, that they're gaining chemistry in the summer, I like those stories. I always like those. And Jonu Smith has shown that that work paid off over the summer. It's it's just been a, a productive start for John o. Smith, who's finally getting yep. an opportunity. This is his first season as a full time. I know I'm the starter. I know I'm the guy, and he's not someone that I think many people had on their radars going into the year. You could probably grab him on your on your fantasy uh, waiver wire right now, and I would definitely do that, especially while AJ Brown's gone. Uh, I've got one tight end. He actually uh, someone on Twitter. Uh, who's talking to me and saying, hey, this person's probably going to have a breakout game this week. I really like what they're doing. That's Mo Alley-Cox of the Tennessee, uh, not Tennessee Titan, the uh, Indianapolis Colts. Um, he had uh, seven catches for 131 yards uh, last week. I'm sorry, five catches for 111 yards. It's a good breakout candidate with uh, um, Jack, uh, what is it, uh, Jack Boyle going? Doyle. Uh, uh, Jack Doyle. Doyle going down. Um, shout out, Andy. Good call there. Um so I think he's a good pick. Also, Dallas Goddard for the Eagles. Um, he kind of sits in the background uh, behind Ertz, but he still puts up. He's outproducing he's Ertz He's outproducing so Ertz. He had four catches for 30 yards. Um, you know, it's just someone that's going to get the ball thrown his way five times a game, and they could be five for 16 a touchdown. Uh, they could be yesterday, uh, last week how they turned out four for 30, but just, just some tight ends to keep an eye on. If you have Ertz, I'm guessing that you picked him semi early. You know, Ertz isn't a late round guy. Yeah. Are you worried about Ertz if you have him? No, it's two weeks. I'm worried about Wentz and what's going on there. Uh, Wentz, 26 for 43, 242 yards and two interceptions. Not good. Uh, so I'm more worried about the fact that uh, can he still even produce? I don't know. Deshaun Jackson's out there. They have Ertz, they got Rager, they've got weapons now. We're just not seeing them come together, and it's really on uh, Wentz. But I'm going to trust Wentz to be able to kind of round into a little better form. All right, so I got a question for you. Yep. Is there any chance, even even 10%, is there any chance that we see Jalen Hurts before the season's over? No injury. Let's say Carson Wentz has a full season. Is there any chance that we see Hurts? No injury? No. No. Even if they continue on this path. No. Because he hasn't looked good through two weeks. He's been to the playoffs three years in a row. What are we doing here? He was an, an NL MVP contender. He was the MVP contender for... He was the MVP until he got hurt. Yeah, he's been hurt since, and they won a Super Bowl that year. He was a big part of them even getting to the Super Bowl that year. Um, he's been to the playoffs, what? They won the division last year? I'm not throwing a young quarterback out the window who has looked as good as he has at times uh, for a unknown rookie. Um, now, look, you're, you're, here's the scenario. You're 3-10 going into the last three weeks of the season, and they just want to see what they got. That's the scenario. If you're 3-10, as long as they're in contention 
or around 500, there's no chance. Okay, so there's not a chance that he loses his job. I I don't see it. I just don't. I think that would be reckless shit. Okay, I'm just curious. They haven't extended his contract yet. I don't think have they? Nope. And, and oh wait, Wentz. Um, I don't think so. Let me take a look real quick. Uh, Wentz. It's just it's something that I'm thinking about because I mean they didn't spend a second on on Hertz for no reason. So I would expect that they at least want to get a look at him, and if if Carson Wentz is gonna look how he looked in the first two weeks of the season, I don't think it's out of the question that Hertz might get some run at some point. Yeah, Hertz was signed to a four-year extension through 2024, so 128 million dollars up to 144, 66 fully guaranteed at signing. The, okay, look, this is just that's just it's been two bad games. I get it, but let's relax. <laughs> Let's let's relax. He's a. This isn't. You know, we're calling for way. I think a lot of people are calling for Wentz. When I'm like, there are a lot of worse quarterbacks that are not getting the, that are not getting the looks that that Wentz has. And I know he's been spectacularly bad, but there. You know, Blake Bortles played an entire year as a starting quarterback, and he looked miserable the entire time. And and yeah, they went to the playoffs and they look they look good, but it was everything but him. I think there are a lot of worse quarterbacks in the NFL that are getting more of a pass than he is right now, and it's mainly because the Philly market is is one of the most toxic things on the planet, but that's just how it goes. Right. Just to be clear, I'm not calling for Carson Wentz to lose his job yet. I just know that you know the difference between the Bortles situation and this situation is that the Jags didn't have anyone behind him. You know, There was no option behind Bortles. I don't there's think an there's an in Philly. I don't, I don't think know so. how good Hertz is going to be in the league, right. but... Again, they didn't take him just, you know, so that he could hang out and, and tan. I think they did. Um, I think it was a bad pick. You have Carson Wentz signed through 2024. So if you were to go, hey, we're going to go with Jalen and we're going to sit Wentz, you basically just said we're going to pee on $120 million. It's just a decision most teams don't make. So I look at someone like Mitchell Trubisky who – didn't really have anyone push him all of last year, even though he was an abomination. I don't really think it's... I personally don't think it's on the radar of the Eagles. I don't think it's on their radar at all. Yeah, I don't think so either. I think but they just drafted... I'm keeping an eye on. Yeah, I'm not going to rule it out completely. Yeah, I'll, I'll keep an eye on it if we get to week eight. Until then, I'm just like, look, you played two teams. You had two bad games. We'll see how they round into form. They're, they're banged up on that offensive line. It's a fucking problem. Um, let's flip over real quick. I'm gonna I'm gonna talk some shit. Uh, if you're listening, if you're Go listening ahead. to this podcast, or if you're out there, you don't understand how big of a fucking slaughter I'm on in the NFL. I'll run through this. This is just my gambling overall. Okay, I started out doing a little baseball because it was the only thing that was running. I went 19, 11, and three. I went positive eight. Okay. Uh, with some juice in there, it's more like positive seven. It's still positive in baseball. I put that away. I said, let me pick up the NBA. Now, neither of these are my main sport. Football is my main sport. So I pick up the NBA. I am an NBA fan. I am a baseball fan. I've watched these sports. I've watched baseball long and had basketball, but I'm, I'm pretty on it. I go 52-34-1 in NBA. I go plus 18. If you want to throw in juice in there, it's about plus 15. Everything's a spread bet, so it's none of these money line bullshits to pad my stats. This is all against the spread. I'm not doing that money line shit unless it's giving out plus money, period. So I'm plus 18 there. So between the two of those, none of my main sports. 
I go plus eight. I go plus 18. I'm plus 26 between those two sports. But then we get into the NFL. And the thing is, you don't really know anybody that's better than me in the NFL. They just don't exist. Um, this is three, yes. three years in a row where I have picked every single game, something on the game against the spread or the over-under, where I finished with a positive record in the, in, in the NFL. Not just a positive record, above the fabled 52.5%, which is what all professional gamblers seek to get to. Um, last year, I had a down year at 53%. The year before that, I was at 57 But the thing that really brought it all together last year was not only did I hit almost all of my preseason bets, but I brought you Lamar Jackson at 100-1. to So it wasn't that I finished, you know, uh, up a little. I hit a hundred to one bet out of the park for you, no strings attached, and I did that earlier than anybody else called it. So we turn to this year, and we say, "What are we doing?" On the year, my season-long bets, most of them look pretty good. The bigger ones, uh, there is a chance that I've missed out on some opportunity with Kyler Murray, but I really think the MVP is going to come down to, and the three people I lumped together were Lamar, Mahomes, and Aaron Rodgers. Easily in the top three right now of MVP getters. Lump them all together to win you plus money. If Aaron Rodgers win, you win even more plus money. And Aaron Rodgers is the better stats out of the three of them. But we turn to the games, and right now I'm 19 and 13, picking every single game. Plus six. And that's the worst I'm doing anywhere. My best bets, I'm nine and three. I'm another plus six. And then comes the parlays. I'm on this. I'm on this better than anybody you know. I'm 34 and a half and one with parlays. I've given you three. I've crushed two of them out of the park. Last night, I give out Oakland on the money line plus the over for four and a half. That was a no-brainer. I had that at halftime. Follow this man at Pick and Play 37 on Twitter. I'm giving out big parlays every week. I threw one out there earlier where I had Cleveland minus six, but I said, hey, if you want to make Cleveland a money line instead of taking the minus six because you don't want Cleveland to fuck your parlay out the gate, you could do that. That one I didn't even count as a win because the Cleveland on the money line went through and I hit a 19 parlay culminating with Seattle minus four at the end of the day, and that paid out 50 to one. I'm not even counting that one. I'm 34 and a half to one. I'd have to lose almost every parlay from now until the end of the year to just be even on that. And I went ahead and pressed my against the spread up to six, my best bets up to six. You just can't find anyone that's going to win consistently for you with none of the bullshit. I'm not hiding shit. You don't have to pay me $10 for me to DM you uh, one side of a bet. And real quick, just want to walk through everyone the scam that happens. When you see those things on Twitter, they're normally part of a larger conglomerate of accounts that go out and say, hey, if you're such and such, DM us and we're going to give you a pick. Now, the way it works is they literally segregate states or counties into buckets and based on gambling data. And they give out everything at a 50-50 clip. So when you call, they're going to say, hey, take the chargers. And then when your friend calls another state over, they're going to say, hey, go ahead and take the Kansas City Chiefs. And what they're doing is winning on the margins. If everyone piles in and gives them $10, half of those people 
are going to be really fucking happy. Really happy. Now, them are probably going to tune into your pick three or four weeks in a row. The other side's going to give it one more chance, and they're going to tune in next week. Well, if they hit that on a 50-50 bet for you, you're lumped. But they're not winning at a great clip. They're literally taking their audience and giving half the bets out in one direction and half the bets out in the other. If you follow the mainstream media of gamblers, they do not do overwhelmingly great. They look to win at 52 to 53%. I am guaranteeing a 52 and 53%, but I'm also telling you I got a better feel for the game than them. I don't know what year what you know what age they were gambling, but I was fucking 8 9 10 fucking doing spreads. So this is this is That's true actually. I remember the first time I ever looked at a spread is cuz you showed me yeah, I was walking around the neighborhood with a piece of paper in my pocket like it was 1960s with numbers written on it. And I'm sitting there going, well, you know, it's plus six, plus eight. What am I looking? I could tease them together. Teasers I haven't even really touched. I'll get into teasers later in the year. You don't need them right now. I love the parlays they're being able to put together. I love my best bets. I love the spreads overall. There are a few I've been stumped on, but normally this is the hardest part of the season for people and i am i am not struggling <laughs> i am i am overall if you took every single thing every single you took my baseball you took my nba you took my nfl you took everything you put it together on plus 70 units if you gave a little juice in there you gave a little juice in there and say it's plus 65 Means if you bet a hundred dollars on every one of my bets you follow me you'd be up 650 you'd be at six thousand five hundred bucks Sheesh. That's just casual. Uh, you bet whatever you want to bet. This, weekend. this but, weekend, I'm going to take our podcast bets. I'm, I'm going to take whatever you got, and I'm just throw money on it. I've already thrown a parlay out there uh, for everyone that's listening. Um, I'm go- I normally do two to three parlays a week, uh, and I like to, you know, I've got people that go, Matt, I like your parlay, but I'm going to add such and such to it. And then they don't hit it. And I say, well, you know, you didn't hit it on your fucking part. Don't touch my parlay. <laughs> if you want to win money, don't think you're like, and I'm not here to tell you I'm smarter than you. I just understand what's happening. Here's my one parlay I've given out for this week already. Okay. Uh, Miami and Jacksonville over 45. That's going to be, and this is my Thursday parlay that I like to take through Thursday and carry through. Miami and Jaguars over 45. Tennessee minus one and a half against Minnesota. Chicago and Atlanta over 47. Green Bay Packers are getting four points. I already locked that in. I locked that in before the Monday night game. A couple reasons. The Packers are better than fucking New Orleans. And last night we all saw it. So watch for that line to fucking change dramatically. I got Green Bay plus four. And then I got the Cardinals facing the Detroit Lions at minus six. That is all even money. Minus 110, minus 110, minus 110, minus 110, minus 115. That's going to pay out. That's going to pay out close to, I think it's 23 to 1, 20 to 1. Let me double check what it's paying out. But you you got you to gotta evaluate your picks early on on Thursdays and then drive them through. Like I said, uh, a big part for me was looking at that New Orleans spread and going, you know, the only thing that can happen out of that New Orleans spread is is bad shit for New Orleans. What about that New Orleans game was going to make you feel more confident about Drew Brees? Nothing. Actually, we feel way worse. So 
that that five team parlay I gave out pays out twenty three point eight to one. That'll lock in Miami at over forty eight. Titans minus one and a half. Basically, Titans just to win. Total in Chicago over 47. Green Bay plus four. Arizona minus six. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to bet on every single one of them individually. So I love them all together. But if you're not following us, you're not listening to us, that's on fucking you. Because at the end of the year, when I'm plus 400 fucking units and no one you know has even come close and you're just peddling pennies around, just look in the mirror. Because that's all on you. I'm, I'm not charging shit for it. I don't even want money for it. I'm making enough money for it. I don't need your money too. I'm asking you to just be friends. So that's on you. Um, and I'd, I'd suggest everyone give me a follow. Give us a follow. You want breaking NBA news? Leo's going to give it to you. Um, you want good play-by-play? Leo's going to give it to you. We're breaking shit down in ways no one else is. And we're not fucking trying to trick you. There's none of this, let me grab a tight, hot headline and throw out some fucking power ranking where the Ravens are 9 out of 10 teams. You know, we're not trying to get clicks based on baiting you. We're trying to do is make you smarter and understand why athletes do what they do and teams do what they do. Or tell you why what they're doing is fucking crazy. We're not pulling punches. We're just coming to you as two friends sitting at a bar. And that's what we're trying to give you. You don't want to listen to your drunk friend? That's fine. But drunk friend might know something. That was beautiful. That was a beautiful couple minutes there. I like that talk your shit segment. Talk our shit. We are fucking all can over I, it. Can I talk a little shit real quick? Go, I want to join in on the talk your shit go segment. Go for it. I'm going to switch gears a little bit. I'm going to move to game two of the uh, Lakers-Nuggets uh, Lakers Nuggets conference finals matchup. I don't want to hear shit about Anthony Davis not being a top five player ever again in my life. Uh-huh. I don't want to hear it. I'm not willing to hear it. I'm not going to listen to it. I'm not going to entertain it. There was a lot of talk about, oh, is is Luca? Does Luca take his spot in the top five? Look, I love Luca. He did great things this year. But if he's taking someone's spot in the top five, it's not Anthony Davis's. You see, how many big men are there in the league that can come off a screen and hit? A, a pull up, a matter of fact, a catch and shoot three with just a couple seconds left to win a playoff game. How many? Kevin Durant? I think that's where the list ends. Yeah, I mean, Jokic has done really well, but it, it, really, AD is, is a fucking unicorn, a real unicorn. None of this, like, Porzingis is a unicorn. No, AD is better in, like, every fucking way. Uh, you know, look. Yeah, no, if if Porzingis is a unicorn, AD is whatever animal makes a unicorn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, he's been unbelievable. He's yeah. been unbelievable. I saw a stat recently. This, this was maybe like two weeks ago. Um, and so I, I probably should look for the updated stat, honestly. But as of maybe two weeks ago, Anthony Davis was second all time in playoff average per game behind Michael Jordan. Second all time. Yeah. It might be higher now. Shit, he might be number one. <laughs> I don't want to hear anything about it. I don't want to hear not one bit of Anthony Davis slander. It, it, definitely not for the rest of this season, but I'm not willing to hear it for the foreseeable future. I just needed to get that off real quick. You know, the Lakers blew that lead in game two, but Anthony Davis, Anthony Davis, that, that's all I got Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis. So what we haven't seen in that series, and we're going to wrap on this and these NBA thoughts, 
what we haven't seen on this series at all, really, is LeBron going Super Saiyan. And we know he can. We know he's still feeling it out. I think if you're the Nuggets, the problem is you haven't been able to bait LeBron into that killer mode for the entirety of the game. And maybe you could say, well, he may, you know, maybe it's a bad match if he doesn't have it because they were at risk of losing that game. LeBron doesn't care about losing a game. LeBron wants you to play all your cards and then he'll play his. So until he feel he feels like you've played your hand, he's not playing his. Last night, uh, two nights ago, Anthony Davis bailed them out with that shot. It was a game that LeBron would have been no problem losing. Now, LeBron goes into it 2-0, and we haven't seen him go full downhill yet. I think that... No, yeah. In game two, we saw LeBron in the first half. I thought he, he revved up the engine a little bit. I think he was trying to check and see where his uh, where his oil level was at. Yeah. He read the engine, ended up with 20-plus points in the first half. And then in the second half, he, he he downshifted and said, ah, nah, I'm good. Go ahead, AD. Yep. Any other thoughts of the NBA before we wrap for this week? No, I, I like the Lakers in five. I still like the Lakers in five. I think that game four between Miami and Boston is going to be very, very interesting. I'm not putting any money on that one because I have zero clue how it's going to go. But that game four is going to be big time on Wednesday. And we have a wrap-up. Well, not wrap-up, but tonight the Heat in Boston. Go back at it. Let's see the teeth. Let's see the blood. Let's see the sweat. Let's see the tears. Uh, as always, you can find us on... You can find me, Pick and Play 37 on Twitter. You can find Leo at Pick and Scroll. Later this week, we're going to have another NFL breakdown for you, probably coming Thursday. Uh, we are going to be dropping picks all day on Twitter. Uh, as always, rate, subscribe, review. If you want to make some money, follow us, listen to us. If you want to lose money, go about what you're doing now uh, that isn't listening to us. But we are going to bring you consistent winners. We are going to bring you in-depth analysis. We are going to look at things from an angle that you'll understand. And we're not going to try to jargon you down. We'll explain why we think the way we think. Um, we're the best at fucking do it. How about that? Uh, we're just getting started, and we are going to continue. Please remember, rate, subscribe, review, and as always, stay safe out there.